Paul begins a new series this morning called Rewired, and we're going to be looking at a passage in Genesis chapter 1. So if you can turn your Bibles to, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read verses 26 and 27. If you're using a Bible on the chair, it's on page 1. Again, that's Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Please join me in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your word and that in its pages you unfold who you are and we get to see that and we get to know you through it. And we thank you, Father, for this glimpse into this wonderful work you did as creator of all things. And we get to see that you set us apart by creating us in your image. Oh, Father, teach us this morning. Expand our knowledge of this story and expand our depth of love for you through it. In your name we pray. Amen. In the beginning, God created all things and set them in motion. He carefully threaded every fiber of our beings and designed us to be perfect. His creation was full of joy and glorified God in every way. Then sin began to unwind the world. Now we experience seasons of both joy and pain. Life is often disappointing, and so are we. Is it even possible to change? Morning. Well, as you can see, we're going to be beginning a four-week series today called Rewired. And what we'll be doing over the course of this series is exploring the highs and lows of the human experience. Uh, We're going to cover four questions that people sometimes find themselves pondering about life, and those are, why is life so wonderful sometimes? Why is life so painful other times? Why are people so insecure and lonely? And how do people change? Well, today we're going to start off by considering why it is that sometimes life can be so good. How is it and why is it that spending time with friends or family or reading or camping or going on vacation or exercising or crossword puzzles or whatever it is that you love to do can bring you such delight and satisfaction and pleasure? A human being seemed to be wired for these things. And so today what we're going to do is explore the source of life's best and most enjoyable moments. And believe it or not, the Bible has a lot to say about this. 
In fact, it's the very place that the Bible begins. And so that's where we're going to start this morning, in the beginning. In the first book of the Bible, we're introduced to God as the creator of the heavens and the earth. God speaks into nothing, and out of the dark, empty void, uh, atoms and matter and molecules appear. And they not only appear, but they respond to the voice of God. God speaks, and creation obeys. Let there be light and land, water and plants and stars, he says. Let there be a sun to rule the day and a moon to rule the night. And let there be fish and birds and living creatures of all kinds. God brings about a world of dirt and trees and stone and sunsets and wildlife and mountains and beaches. The ecosystems that you and I enjoy in life today. And after bringing into existence every planet and every cell across the full spectrum of the universe, God then, we're told, pauses and he, and he looks over his handiwork and he announces, it is good. But it was about to get even better. This good and glorious environment has been made for a very specific purpose. It will provide a home for the pinnacle of God's creation, mankind. And now for his final act of creation, instead of speaking words from a distance, as he did with everything else, God personally reaches down into the dust of the earth, we're told, and he forms a man with it, and he tenderly breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And then God names him. He calls him Adam. And soon afterwards, God creates Eve in in a very similarly tender fashion. And these two creatures, together at last, are the apex of everything that God has achieved in creation. Adam and Eve are his masterwork. But why? Why did God do this? Why is it that God created all things? Well, the Bible answers that question for us. It tells us that God created everything for his own glory. That all of creation, and especially men and women, were made to reflect the glory of God in the same way that the moon reflects the glory of the sun. Or in the same way that a magnificent piece of art reflects the glory of the artist who produced it. God's creation is meant to demonstrate his tremendous power and his love and his beauty, his holiness and his limitless perfections. And the magnificence and harmony of the universe and the faithfulness and joyfulness of the lives of human beings together are meant to display that God is truly deserving of all honor and all praise. All creation is meant to point to the glory of God. This was the purpose of creation. And it still remains its very purpose today. And to this end, when God announces the creation of mankind, men and women, he bestows a gift upon Adam and Eve. 
And it's a gift that not only enables them to more richly and effectively glorify God, but it's a gift that makes them unique and distinct from all other creation. Look again at at Genesis chapter 1, verse 29. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This tells us that God made our first parents and every other human to come after them his image bearers. Uh, In other words, in, in a very distinct and extraordinary way, human beings are made in the likeness of God. Our very souls and selves have been stamped like like an image stamped on a coin in the image of our creator. The Bible says that we are made to be like him. You might think of this like a mirror. Just as a mirror reflects the likeness of the image in front of it, so we, in some mysterious way, display the image of our creator. And Adam and Eve, we're told, did this perfectly, at least for a time. So I want to explore this morning, what exactly does it mean that Adam and Eve were created in the image of God? And what exactly does that mean for us today? And how does that help us to understand why life can be so rich and good and and wonderful at times? Well, the concept of the image of God is a difficult one for us to wrap our minds around. And this is partly because the Bible doesn't define for us precisely what it means. We do know that this image-bearing stamp is unique to people and not true of animals. And that it provides us with a certain stature and dignity before God that separates us from all other creation and even makes possible our dominion over animal life. But what exactly is it? Does it it mean that we look like God? Is that what it means to be created in his likeness? Well, it's probably not that. God himself, the Bible teaches, is spirit and he does not have a body like us. However, the wonders of our bodies and the perfect health that Adam and Eve were created with and the abilities that we possess certainly reflect the likeness of God. Things like our intelligence and athleticism, our conscience, our ability to love and to create, our sense of determination, Uh, our sense of compassion, all all of these things and and more reveal to us aspects of the nature of God. Uh, I appreciated one author who who wrote about the image of God and how it's displayed through our mental and moral and and social capacities. And, And he said that human beings reflect God mentally anytime someone invents a machine or writes a book or paints a landscape or enjoys a symphony, or calculates a sum, or names a pet. And when this happens, he or she is proclaiming the fact that they are made in God's image. We reflect God morally anytime someone writes a law, or recoils from evil, or praises good behavior, or feels guilty. 
And we reflect God socially anytime somebody gets married or makes a friend or hugs a child or attends a church. Now, what's really important to understand is that these are not the only categories that the image of God is experienced in. The concept of being created in the image of God isn't something that can be reduced to a list of attributes or characteristics. The the Bible seems to view our image bearing as a much more comprehensive stamp on our whole. The entire person is an image bearer of God. You might say that the entire person has been impressed with his fingerprint. In fact, I want to mention just as a side note that being made in the image of God is what provides the basic foundation for the value of every human life. It gives each person a profound sense of identity and worth. And it's why Christians seek to love and protect people who are on the fringes of society. The unborn, those who have special needs, those who might be sick or poor or or elderly. It's why Christians stand against racism and sexism and slavery and injustices of all kinds. We believe that every man and every woman is stamped in the likeness of God. And the nobility of that truth gives even the weakest person in society immeasurable value. Value that we can't even ourselves comprehend. Well, anyway, what we have in the very beginning of the book of Genesis is God drawing from his bottomless well of creativity and power and creating the universe around us and then placing Adam and Eve on the surface of the earth, which has been tuned and perfectly customized for their flourishing and then stamping the two of them in his uh, likeness and image so that they are uniquely enabled to enjoy and take advantage of all the wonders of his creation. And it's as God's image bearers interact with his creation that life is wonderful. And life was wonderful in, in the very fullest sense in the garden in the beginning. That was the experience of Adam and Eve. And you and I experience some of this very same thing today. Let me illustrate that. Um, A couple of years ago when my three children were age four and under, uh, we took the family on a vacation to the, the mountains in Tennessee. And we stayed in a little cabin at the foothills of the Smokies. It was incredible. And one uh, spectacular, sunny afternoon, we were all sitting in our cabin together around the table eating strawberry ice cream. And my son, who, who was four, said something that for the life of me, I cannot remember. And I wish I would have written it down. But it was one of those sweet and sincere statements that a child makes that is perfectly sensible to a four-year-old but hilariously absurd to an adult. And when he said that at the table, it struck me as so funny. And I started to laugh, and I couldn't stop. And then he realized how ridiculous the thing was that he had said, and he started laughing too. And we were both hysterical. And this got my wife, Katie, laughing hysterically too. And 
And that is the best when that happens. That's my, my favorite thing. To watch my wife laugh hysterically is one of the funniest things in the world because it's rare that she laughs that hard, especially at my jokes. <laughs> but then our two girls started laughing, and, and one of them was only one year old, and she had no idea what was going on, but she was laughing just as hard as the rest of us. And that was one of the most wonderful experiences I've ever had. I mean, it's just, it's just one of the high memories of my life was that. We must have rolled on the floor for 15 minutes. My throat hurt afterwards. Now, if I were to step back and analyze what happened there that afternoon, what was happening was that the spectacular creation of God, the fresh mountain air and the sunshine and the comforts of that cabin and, and, and even the refreshment of that strawberry ice cream tame, came together with the wonders of human beings who've been created in the image of God. The capacities our family possessed for language and for reason and for humor and for relationship, the the love and affection that God enabled us to enjoy. And all of those things combined together in some mysterious way to create that wonderful moment that we all experienced. A family of deer or a nest full of birds could never have experienced something like that. But thanks to that gift of God's stamp of his likeness, we could. And people can. Every time that you experience life being wonderful, it's because you are in some way enjoying this magnificent world that God has placed you in, coming together with how he has uniquely wired your body and your mind and your soul and stamped his image upon you. And all of this is a gift from God. And and it's a gift by God's common grace for all people those who love God and acknowledge him, and those who don't. Life is wonderful sometimes for everyone. But what the Bible teaches is that as wonderful as life can be, it's only a taste of what it's meant to be. As wonderful as life is today, it's not what it could have been. Because in Eden, we're told something went wrong. And it's something that impacted all of this. In the garden, we're told in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve revolted against God. That they turned on him. And when they did, sin burst into the world like a plague of cancer cells might barge into a healthy body. It began to invade and to spread and to infect. Infect, excuse me. And in particular, sin impacted two of the things in life that make life wonderful. First of all, it impacted creation itself. So that now, in addition to all the beauty and wonder of the universe, sickness and decay and earthquakes and famines and all the things that we read about in the news that are so negative and horrible and all the things that we experience in our lives that are the same became a part of reality of life on earth. Creation had fallen. 
And not only that, but sin also targeted that image of God that was stamped on Adam and Eve. And and the image of God became warped and distorted by sin. Now, God's image was not erased, and it wasn't completely distorted. It it was still there, but it, it just wasn't what it once had been. It became like a magnificent piece of art that had been sprayed with graffiti or a mirror that had been shattered. You could still make out the image, but it was defective now. It was just a glimmer of of what it had been. And now, as a result of this fall, we discover something very interesting happens later on in Genesis chapter 5, just a couple of chapters later. It says this in Genesis 5, verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. So Adam fathers a son whose name is Seth, who is now in whose image? Adam's, right? makes it very clear. It repeats it twice, just like we, it repeated the same thing twice at the beginning in, in Genesis chapter 1. Seth, as a human being, is still created in the image of God, but now the image of Adam, the fallen man, is in effect too, so that now Seth and every other human descendant of Adam and Eve bear two images. One, God's image, and two, Adam's image. And the Bible teaches that this includes you and it includes me. Every one of us were made in the image of God, but sin has distorted that image in us. And we, as descendants of Adam, just like Seth, have therefore also taken on the image of Adam, our imperfect father, the man who was made from dust And now every time we experience things like guilt or insecurity or jealousy or road rage, every time that we decide to live not for God's glory, but for our own, that's Adam. That's his image that you and I reflect. And so in our present condition, sometimes we reflect the likeness of God for his glory. But other times we reflect the likeness of Adam for our glory. Every person is a mixed bag. And those times when we do reflect the image of God to the glory of God, we do so imperfectly. Christians do it better than non-Christians. Mature Christians do it better than immature Christians. But the image of God in every person is warped and distorted. And the image of Adam is sometimes much more prominent and evident in our lives. And so, here we are. God's fallen creatures living in God's fallen creation. Enjoying life sometimes, certainly. But it's just an aftertaste of what it was truly meant to be. So what does God do about this mess? Well, God's answer is Jesus. Jesus is the answer to every question of life. It's the answer to every question that's brought up within this book. 
And I want you to notice that, that the Apostle Paul writes something very interesting about the nature of Jesus. This is Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Here's what he writes. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That's a very, very meaningful statement. And what it means is that God, even though he is invisible, is made perfectly visible through Jesus. Jesus is the preeminent image of God. And so if you want to know what God is like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. Jesus uh, perhaps said it best himself. He said, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Jesus, you might say, is the mirror image of God. And this is because he is 100% God himself. There is no Adam in him. And at the incarnation, the Bible teaches that Jesus became fully a man too, so that now he was 100% God and 100% a human being. You know, people sometimes wonder about the humanity of Jesus. And they think to themselves, does that mean that Jesus is really like me? Can Jesus relate to my sense of humanity? But you know, that's really the wrong question. You see, Jesus not only personifies God himself, but he also exemplifies what humanity looks like in its most pristine and flawless form. Jesus is the epitome of what it means to be a human person stamped in the image of God. And and so the real question is not, is Jesus human like me? It's, am I human like him? And how can my humanity come to more closely resemble his perfect humanity? Well, that's the question that the Bible is all about. It's about how God takes people who were created to glorify him and uniquely stamped with his image, but who decided to glorify themselves instead and are living broken lives as a result. And it's about how these people can be restored, how we can find our way back, not only to God, but even back to the heart of our own humanity again. How we can become the people that we were always meant to be. Uh, on that same vacation that I was telling you about to Tennessee um, a couple of years ago, we visited Gatlinburg for the day, which was about two hours away from where we stayed. How many of you have been to Gatlinburg before? few of you have. It's like one gigantic tourist town, you know. It's a trap, and you get stuck there for days, potentially. Well, we got there, and, and my kids were so excited, and we told them that we would give um, each of them $10 to buy a souvenir, all three of them. Well, two of my kids, they bought something immediately. In fact, as soon as we gave them the money, I think the first thing they saw, they went over to the register and, uh, and purchased. But one of my daughters, who was three years old at the time, was, was much more careful and thoughtful about her purchase. Uh, we looked in three or, or four little gift shops, and, and she looked all over the place, but nothing seemed to quite suit her. And, and I started to think that she might not find anything at all, and she would just take her money home and invest it to her retirement or or something. But just before we left, 
she found something. And it was like she knew immediately that was the thing that she'd been searching for. It, it was this little tiny porcelain pink piggy bank. And she bought it and was so happy with it and, and proud of herself because she'd waited so patiently and she'd gotten something really good. And I was looking back at my pictures of the vacation this week and I have a picture that we took in the car of her riding home, sitting and, and playing with her little piggy bank as, as we drove back to the cabin just before she fell asleep. Well, when we arrived back at the cabin, I parked and I opened up the sliding door of the van and she woke up and she stretched. And when she did that, the little piggy bank fell off of her lap and onto the floor, and then it rolled out onto the pavement, and it crashed into a hundred different pieces. And it took like a second and a half for her to register what had happened. I don't think she saw it. I, I think she just heard it, but she, she knew. And she burst into tears, and I got out of the car, and I walked over, and I got her out of her car seat, and I held her, and I was as crushed as she was. And the first thing she said was, Dad, can we glue it? <laughs> and I said, no, honey, we can't. It's, it's just too badly damaged. I want you to know that that is the portrait that the Bible paints of the human condition. We have all fallen, and the stamp of that magnificent image of God has been shattered in each of us. And and like Humpty Dumpty, there is nothing that we or anyone else on earth can do to put it back together again. We are broken beyond our own repair. Do you know that about yourself? Do you realize that in spite of your best efforts, in spite of all the health health uh, what are they called? Self. Thank you. Self-help books that you can read. In spite of all the gurus that you can listen to, you are broken, and not you or any other human being is going to be able to repair you. That's the condition that the Bible teaches. But the story of the Bible is God's declaration that he has sent his son Jesus, who himself is the flawless image of God with no cracks or distortions or or blemishes of any kind. That God sent him to lay down his own life in the place of any sinner who would trust in him. In the place of anyone who says to God, yes, I realize I'm broken. I realize that I don't live to glorify you. I live to glorify me. I realize that I'm stuck, that I cannot be fixed on my own. So I put my trust in you. And what Jesus does is he removes from them the penalty of their sin. And he does so at the cost of his blood, his life itself. So that their shattered image can be pieced back together again. And the moment, the moment that we trust Christ as our savior, that process begins. And it does not stop. The cause of our brokenness, our sin is fully forgiven. Our hearts are washed clean. And then by the power and work of God's spirit who comes to live within us, he slowly begins to to piece back up the fragments and to reshape the distortions and to reform us again into his likeness. 
And this involves slowly reshaping our identity and our values. He'll go to work on our insecurities and those things that we're attracted to and and repulsed by and, and so much more. And we come to experience in deeper and deeper ways what it means to know God and what it means to be a human being created in his image. And we come to grasp how joyful and wonderful it is to fulfill our purpose of reflecting him into the world. We want to reflect him because we love him, because we want to be like him. And if you're a Christian this morning, God is at work in your life in this way, whether you see it and notice it or not, even right now, today. And if you aren't a Christian yet, This is the process that the Lord invites you into. And he's paid all the cost for you in in sending his son, Jesus. Jesus makes a way for this. Now, we should make no mistake that, that this process of God reforming his people is slow and and painstaking. It never happens as fast as we want it to. At times it's tedious and and it's painful and it certainly doesn't happen overnight. It it enjoys working through our suffering as much as working through the, the wonderful experiences that we have in life. And the rate at which this depends is in part on us and and whether we perseveringly move towards it or whether we drag our feet. But it is a process that God promises he will complete in full. I want to read for you a wonderful verse from the book of 1 John. So many wonderful verses in the Bible, but this one is right up there. This is 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. And here's what John says. I want you to note how realistic he is. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared right? Those who trust Jesus become God's children and they are his beloved. If you're one of them, you are beloved by God. I know it may be hard for you to believe that, but God promises to you, it is true. You are beloved by him. However, John says, what you will be has not yet appeared. You and I right now are not who we will eventually become. We are incomplete, we're unfinished, we're unrefined, and sometimes in this life we feel that deeply. Sometimes our intuition just tells us that we are not what we should be, and that this world that we were living, it's not what it was meant to be. Perhaps this morning you're struggling with some sort of sickness or illness or a lack of confidence inside of yourself that you just cannot face, or some weakness or disappointment or vulnerability or or, or struggle. Maybe in, in your life, the things that you're doing, like Adam, just seem like they're all coming up dust. But God says here, take heart, because you are his beloved child, and who you will be has not appeared yet. And then John goes on, and he says, but we know that when he appears, this again, he's talking about Christ, that when Christ appears, we shall be 
like him. The end result of God's work in our life is to make us like Jesus. God is going to make you flawless. Like he's flawless. Do you realize this? Do you realize that you are going to be perfect someday? Perfect in every way? This is going to be glorious. And by the power of God, when Christ appears, when his beloved children see him, God's work in that person is going to be complete. The image of the man of dust is going to be fully removed and God will restore them to the perfect and flawless image of his son, Jesus. You are not what you are meant to be. But take heart, God's beloved children. You will be. That's a promise from God. You will be. You know, life in this world can be wonderful sometimes. But for now, it is only a taste. It's only the leftovers of of the full glory of God's design in the beginning. But God has promised that one day... All things will be made new. The universe around us will be restored to perfection. And the image of God in every Christ follower will be stamped back and restored to what it was meant to be. And this means that all of the wonderful moments and joys that we experience in life right now are, are just like the little breadcrumbs of the life that is yet to come the day when all creation is restored and we behold fully the glory of God and are able to reflect it joyfully and happily and perfectly and forever through our lives. If you think that life has its wonderful moments now, just wait until Christ appears. The Bible promises you have not seen anything yet. Let's pray. Father, it's hard to believe that these things could be true. Sometimes in life, we feel so disappointed and we just have this sense that, 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 that things are wrong. We feel lethargic in our hearts. We, we fail so often. We struggle with our own thoughts and behaviors and attitudes. And sometimes we feel that there's no hope for this. Sometimes we look at the circumstances of our life and we think this is not going to end. Things are not going to change. And it discourages us and it, and it saddens us and it frustrates us. We, we, we want to break out of it. And here you are sending your son Jesus to die so that that doesn't have to be our experience forever. Thank you for the promise that you have given to each one of your children that you are not done with us yet and you will never be done with us. And we thank you that that process is being worked out in our lives even as I speak these words. Help us to join you in that work, Father. Help us to seek you and to trust you and to depend on you, to build our lives on you. And we thank you that in the end, we will not be let down. In Jesus' name we pray.